All right, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're at today. Great passage, super applicable. Man, I, I just think this is one of those, God, thank you, I need this every day kind of passages. Matthew 6, uh, 25 through 34 is where we're going to be looking at, uh, picking it up right where we left off two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we talked about uh, what your treasure is, and so I'll kind of reference that. We'll tie that in here in just a moment, but I want to read the passage. And so if you'd like to stand, many of you like to stand when we read the Word of God, you may do so now. Uh, if you're not able to stand or if you just not wouldn't like to, that's fine as well, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 is where we are going to begin reading. And Jesus says this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we uh, submit ourselves to your authority today. Uh, you're a good father. You're a good God. You're faithful and reliable and true in every way. And Father, we worship you. Uh, we ask, God, that you would move in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to believe and to live out the word of God this morning. God, I pray that you would take away anxiety and, and replace it with just a firm confidence in your care for us, in your will. God, take away the false treasures that, that we, we uh, put our hope in. And Father, help us to treasure, to lay up treasure um, in heaven. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You'll notice the very first word of our text is therefore. Now, whenever you see that in the Bible, you know that it's connecting it to the passage that we just looked at, right? So Jesus is, says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Okay, so therefore is connecting it to the passage that we just looked at two weeks ago, which was all about treasure. Remember, Jesus was telling us, don't let for yourselves treasures in, in, on the earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. You remember that passage? But he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, thieves don't break in and steal. And then he says this, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And now Jesus is connecting this next passage about anxiety, about worry, about stress, he's connecting that with what he just told us about treasure, okay? Now, I think that's really important, all right? I think that's really important because Jesus is saying, listen, when, you, when you're worried about something, your worry is kind of this neon arrow pointing to what your treasure is, right? Your treasure is connected to your worry. You know, last week we described, you know, how do you know what your treasure is? Well, one of the ways you know is you're, you're piling it up, right? You're trying to get more of it, you know, whether it's reputation or possessions or 
uh, maybe your, your, your position at work or your, what, whatever that is, you're, you're trying to get more of it, all right? Well, Jesus kind of gives us another clue here. One of the ways you find out what your treasure is, what are you worrying about? Like, what are, you, what are you laying up at night, you know, running over and over and over in your mind? That's probably a pretty good indication of pointing at what your treasure is. And so Jesus tells us not to be anxious. Now, the word anxious is a word that means to be divided, okay? So, so anxious is not like, hey, I, I got to think this through so I make a good decision. That's not anxious anxiety. Uh, Jesus wants you to make good decisions, all right? He wants you to, to think things through, be diligent. All, all that is fine, but we all know what anxiety is, right? It's when, you know, you're pulled apart on the inside. It's when you are stressed and you are bound up and you're worried and you're to some degree crippled. Like, it, I call it the broken record syndrome, okay? And I said that in some of the other services, and a lot of the people were like, what's a record, all right? But, uh, but all right, so if you don't know what a record is, all right, uh, uh, well, I don't know that we need to explain it. Let's just say this. Broken record means it, you're going over and over and over and over again in your mind, right? And maybe maybe you don't know what that is, but maybe like you understand what a loop is, right? Like you can loop a video where it just plays over and over and over again, all right? That's what happens in our mind when we're anxious, right? Is we, we've got this thing that is bothering us, troubling us, and we just run it over and over and over and over in our mind. And Jesus is basically saying, don't do that, all right? Don't do that. That, that is one of Satan's strategies to, to really come against your faith and, and to really to hinder your productivity in the kingdom of God. Um, what you think about is, is monumentally important. It really is. Like what's going over and over in your mind, that's incredibly important. In fact, the se- I think this is the best passage in the Bible about worry. I think the second best passage in the Bible is Philippians 4. And in this passage, Paul says in verse 6, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then it says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever's honorable, whatever's just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, see, Paul is linking what you think about. Like that's monumentally important in your life. Um, and, and what you worry about is often kind of, that, that defines what you are thinking about. And so Jesus says here in verse 25, just gives us a blanket command. And you need to hear this as a command, okay? Please don't hear this as, well, here's a suggestion, but you know, you're wired this way and your grandma was a worrier and your mom was a worrier and you're a worrier. And so we're just worriers. You know, we got red head, uh, we got red hair and we're worriers, you know? Okay, don't, don't look at it that way. It's sin, okay? It's sin because Jesus said in verse 25, don't do it. Like he says, don't be anxious, all right, now whenever Jesus says, don't do something, and you do it anyway, that, that, there's another word for that. It's called sin, right? And, and so, so Jesus is, is saying, worry is a sin. Being anxious is a sin. Don't worry about it, all right? Now, he says, don't worry about what you eat, drink, and put on your body. Now, if you live in Zambia, if you live in India, a lot of places in the world, that, that's, a, that's a real, like, like, they're actually saying, I am concerned about what I'm going to eat today, okay? Most of us are not concerned about what we're going to eat today. In fact, a lot of us may be more concerned about not eating stuff today, right? Like, like that may be more of a concern, like, hey, don't eat the cookies again today, you know, right? But for a lot of people in the world, they literally are worried about what, what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear, if they're going to have clothing, all right? But, but don't dismiss this from the American culture because really what you eat and drink or what, that's your standard of living right? It's just, we're just higher up on that curve, right? But essentially, what you eat and drink is your standard of living, right? And let me tell you, Americans are incredibly concerned about that, all right? Maybe as concerned as anybody in the world 
about our standard of living, about how high we are living. And, and you might look at what you wear. In Jesus' day, your, your clothes were, were probably your primary personal possessions. Like, like your investment was very much so in your, 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 the clothes that you had. And so if we, we transfer that into our culture, then you know, what you wear, worrying about what you wear, would be essentially worrying about your personal possessions, which, again, Americans are very much right there, okay? So, so Jesus is saying, don't worry about your standard of living. Don't worry about your quality of your personal possessions. Don't, don't worry about, you know, can you pay the bills? You know, what, what, what things are going to be in the future? Anticipating all that. What, now, why? why? Why, Jesus? Why, why should we not worry about that? In verse 25, he gives a simple reason here. He says, is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing? Okay? Now, again, remember the treasure pa- passage that we just looked at. So essentially, Jesus is saying, hey, hey, listen, don't let that consume your mind and your heart. You know why? Life's actually not about that. Life is really not about the quality of life, the standard of living, the amount of your possessions, you know, how much you have, how high in your company you are. Basically, Jesus is saying, life's not about that. It's about something completely different. Like, like your joy, your peace, your satisfaction, your eternity is going to come from none of those things. You know, the, 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 the quality of your actual life eternal is, is not about any of those things. Um, and when you think it is, then your treasure is in the wrong place, right? So Jesus says, don't do it. Don't, do not worry, all right? Now, the cry from us, right, back is, is what, is what, right? It's how, Jesus, right? Like, it's easy to say, don't worry about it, but I think we've all tried that, and, and we've all failed at that, and so how, how do we accomplish Jesus' command here when he tells us, not to worry, okay? A couple, couple ways that we do that. Number one is by really believing our Heavenly Father and His care for us, all right? That's the first way that you combat worry. I think that's actually the predominant way. When, when you look through this passage, there's some things that ought to jump out at you. One of the things that ought to jump out at you is how Jesus says, your Heavenly Father. Like, He emphasizes that, okay? Several times in this passage, He emphasizes, your, like, look, look at verse uh, 20, 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them, okay? Now, He could have just as easily said, but God feeds them, right? But, but, but he's very specific there. Your heavenly father, right? And he's going to say that several more times in this passage. He's going to talk about your heavenly father. Now, the thing that he's pointing out there is, is that God, first of all, God provides for the natural world. Now, here's where your worldview comes into play, okay? If you have a worldview that uh, you think of the world in this way, that God kind of started the engine of creation, you know, a lot of people think that, that, you know, it's like an old tractor. God, God kind of cranked it up, you know, you know, got it running, and then God just checked out, man. He went to the heavenly version of the Cayman Islands, and he is, you know, um, drinking whatever God would drink there on the beach, right? And he's just checked out like he's, he's not connected to the physical world. He's not connected to our world at all. A lot of people have that worldview. It's, it's really called deism to some degree, all right? That's not the biblical worldview of the Bible, 
Okay, the biblical worldview of the Bible is not only did God create the world, God actually sustains it, all right? That, that everything that happens in the world, that God's not only creator, but he's sustainer. There's not a molecule that moves without the permission and intent of King Jesus. That, that's the biblical worldview of the Bible, okay? That when a bird gets a worm, it was God's provision. Not that the bird didn't work for the worm. They do. They work really hard. They're really diligent, okay? But, but all, of, all of creation is sustained by God. And that's very much supported in the scriptures. So Colossians 1 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. I love this. And for him, verse 17, he's before all things. And then this last beautiful phrase. And in him all things hold together. Isn't that great? In Jesus, all things, all of life, all of creation, all of provision are held together and sustained by Jesus. Okay, Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3, the writer of Hebrews says, He is, Jesus is, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. You remember when Paul was talking to the Athenians, I think, in the book of Acts, and he says, in him, in God, you live and move and have your being. If you look in the book of Job, Job 38, uh, several passages, we won't turn to them, but, but it actually talks about how God gives the ravens their food and the lions their prey. Like, like the biblical worldview is, is, is literally God sustains it all, okay? God sustains it all. Now, now that biblical reality means that God sustains us as well, okay? So, so first of all, you've got a sustaining, in control, sovereign God caring for the world. And Jesus points out that that God is, guess who he is? If you're a believer here today, your heavenly father. Okay? Your heavenly father. Verse 26, your heavenly father feeds him. And, and then, he, then he says this. He says, are you not of much more value than they? Who, who are they? Birds and, and, and flowers. That's, that's who, remember he says, consider the lilies of the field. You know, consider the birds of the air. Now that, that's, that's his point here. He says, doesn't God take care of them? Doesn't God take care of the birds? He does. Doesn't he take care of the flowers? He does. You know, yet your heavenly father, aren't you of more value? That's what verse 26 said. Aren't you more value than they? You, you know what's interesting is we would all obviously say, what would we say to that? Well, yeah, I am, right? Like, like I am of more value than birds and grass. Yeah, I'll tell you what's broken about India. Um, uh, in all the places I've traveled, you know, in January, you all know we were in an Islamic police state, right? A group of our, our team from our church went uh, to, to engage an unreached people group. And so here's an Islamic, I felt so much more at home there than I do in India. And, and I, I fi it finally clicked to me this time why that is. I think it's Hinduism. I think because Hinduism, you know, Islam, as, as broken as it is, it still kind of has roots in Abraham and in, in kind of a Judeo mindset, biblical mindset. Hinduism is completely foreign. So, so a Hindu would answer that question. Are you not of more value than they? You know, all of us would say, well, of course. A Hindu would say, well, no. That rock, that's God, you know, and that tree, that's God. That cow, whoo, high up on the deal. You know, you and I think steak, they're thinking God, right? And, and so, I mean, that's how broke, that's how backwards that is, right? That's what, that's what a deception it is, all right? But, but all of us would obviously answer that, yeah, yes, I, I understand that. But let, let's be biblically clear about, are we not of more value than rocks and, and, and birds and grass, okay? Let's be biblical about that. And here, here's the biblical basis for that, is that the Bible tells us very clearly in the creation story that man is created in the image of God, meaning that you have a unique capacity to know and enjoy God forever. You have a soul, 
okay? But not only that, but the Bible says that God sent his own son, Jesus, from the glories of heaven to become man, to put on human flesh, to be born into poverty, to be our brother, our high priest, our perfect representative, our savior, right? And then Jesus bought you out of your sin by his own blood and enabled the way through the power of the Holy Spirit for you to believe in him and to be joined to Jesus Christ so that you could be a child of God. You, you could be a son of God. You could be adopted. That, that's biblical language. Adopted into the family of God to be sons and daughters of the king. Perfectly acceptable to God because of the righteousness of Jesus. Okay, so here's, here's what you have when you put those together, okay? You have a good father and you have adopted beloved children of that good father. Okay? Do you, do you see these two principles? All right, now I want to ask you, do you believe those two things? Okay? If you're here this morning, do you believe those two things? Do you believe that you have a good heavenly father and that you are indeed an adopted, accepted, loved child of God? Okay, now if you said amen, then why do you worry? See, those are, those are inconsistent. I'm so glad you said amen. I, I trapped you in that, right? You see, that, that, that's inconsistent. That's, that's, that's Jesus' point here. He, he's saying, okay, you know, God takes care of the birds. God takes care of the, the grass. How much more would your heavenly Father take care of you? Are you not of more value than they? And you, what you ought to say is what you did say. I believe that. Well, then why are you worrying? Why are you bound up? Why, why are you laying in bed, running this deal over and over and over in your head, worrying that you're not going to be provided for? Let's say a couple of us families decide to go out to McDonald's, I don't know, wherever, somewhere for lunch. So we go to McDonald's for lunch. And uh, everybody's in line, chit-chat and everything. And all of a sudden you notice my youngest daughter is not with us in line. And she is over in a corner booth over there. And, and she kind of got her head in her hands. And, and all of a sudden she looks up and you see that her eyes are pulled with tears. And so you guys are caring people. You, you go over there to Haven. You know, Haven, what's wrong? And she said, I, I, didn't, I don't have any money. I didn't bring any money. And I'm hungry. I didn't have breakfast. And I'm hungry. I miss breakfast. I, I don't have any money. And, and I really want something to eat. And my friends are here from church. And they're all going to come sit down. And I, I'm not going to have any food. I'm going to be embarrassed that I don't have any money for food. What would be your first, what would you say? You'd, you would say, Haven, your dad's in line. <laughs> right? He's right there. Go, go ask him. Uh, your dad's in line. And she said, well, I know, but, but I'm, I, just, I didn't bring you money, and I, I have no way to provide for myself. All right, now, if that happened, I know what you'd think. Two things, and I kind of, I kind of figured the way you'd go, okay? You'd think, number one, something's wrong with Haven, right? Or I think, I think here's what you'd think. Something's wrong with her daddy. Wouldn't you? Huh? You have DHS on the speed dial, right? <laughs> Literally, that's what you would think. You would think, that guy's not a good guy. Oh, all right, now let's think about worry. So if Jesus bought you with his own blood and brought you into his family, and man, you're, you're bound up into almost being emotionally crippled, worrying about God, whether you're going to be provided for. 
that says something, either something about you or something about your father or your view of your father. Man, I had one of the coolest experiences of the trip. Um, we, the trip was so scheduled, so, t- I mean, it was, it was 24-7. And yet, our friend Solomon does what Solomon does best, and that's on the fly, he fits more in. I don't know how. But we had one of those spaces of a couple hours, and he's like, you know what? We could go down and to the old city. There's a, a church that's meeting in a, a living room there. It's against the law in that region to have a church in that neighborhood in the old city. It's predominantly, actually, it's predominantly a Muslim area, which mostly in, in, in India it's Hindu, but this is um, Hindus and Muslims, but predominantly it's one of the bigger Muslim areas. And he said there's, there's a, a church plant trying to start up there in a living room. And so he said, would you be willing to preach there? And I said, let's go. And so we took off. We told him we'd be there in 30 minutes. So an hour and 15 minutes later, we showed up in Hyderabad traffic. And uh, they're still there. They're singing. There's about 70 of them, 80 of them packed in a little living room and on the floor, sitting on the floor. I kind of made my way, trailed up to the front and I opened my Bible to Romans 8, which man, when you get to talk to and impress people, go to Romans 8, you know? And I just laid it out real as quickly as I could for them. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, you know? And then I went down to, I think it's like uh, uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, where it says, if, if you have the Spirit of God, then you're sons of God. And then the next verse says, and if you're sons of God, then you're heirs with Jesus Christ. Like you inherit all that Jesus inherits. And then the next verse, I think it's verse 18, it says, and if you are inheriting what Jesus inherits, then your inheritance, all the sufferings of this life are not comparable to the glory that awaits you. And then he goes down a little further and Paul says, Romans 8, 28, that God is working all the circumstances of your life. He is leveraging all those circumstances, good and bad, for your eternal glory, for your good in Christ Jesus. And then, verse 32. Because verse 32 is, is this verse where Paul's like, I know you're, you're going to struggle to believe all this that God's actually going to do all this. And so verse 32 of Romans 8, it goes like this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Okay, now do you see the logic of that verse? Hold that up there, Kenny, if you would. All right, so, so what, what he's saying is, all right, so what we're going to struggle with is, will God graciously give us all things? Will he do that? Will will God graciously give his people all that he's promised, all right? And Paul's logic is, listen, if God didn't spare his own son, why in the world would you doubt that he will provide for you? If God sent his son out of the heavens, out of the privileges of divinity, to put on human flesh, to be born in poverty in a barn with farm animals, to live a life of suffering, and then to be butchered on the cross, if God was willing to do that, you don't think he will help with your electric bill? You think God would go that whole way with his son, but then he's just going to abandon you For your food and provision. Paul says no. <laughs> How much more will he graciously give us all things? So, so here's what Jesus is saying first of all. The way to combat your, your worry in your life is to believe the right things about God, your heavenly father, and believe the right things about yourself. That you are his adopted children. Okay? Number two. The way that we 
combat worry is by increasing faith. Okay, so notice, notice in verse um, 30. Okay, so look at chapter 6, verse 30. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then this little phrase here, oh, you of little faith. Now, now let's be encouraged here. He, he doesn't say you have no faith, okay? So I, I don't think he's talking about unbelievers here. I, I just think he, he, later on he talks about, you know, don't the Gentiles worry about all this stuff? I think, I think what he's doing is he's saying, listen, don't, don't act like an unbeliever. Like don't, don't have small faith. Jesus, Jesus condemned his disciples over and over again for having small faith. You need to have big faith. Okay, And if you find yourself worried and anxious and bound up on the inside of our stuff, it means you need to increase in faith. Faith is the problem, all right? Faith is the problem. Now, I know what you're going to ask me. You're going to say, well, how do I do that? How do I increase my faith? You know, I know that I need to believe what the Bible says about my Heavenly Father more, and I don't believe what the Bible says about His provision for me more, but how do I do that? And the basic answer to that is by the scriptures, okay? So let me explain what I mean by that. So Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, all right? So it's a very simple verse that tells us that our faith grows through the word of God. That's why it's desperate that you be in the word of God, okay? But specifically, okay, if we get even more specific, and 2 Peter helps us do this, specifically the way that faith grows is when you latch on to the Word of God, yes, but specifically the promises of God, okay? So let me show you that in 2 Peter 1.4. 2 Peter 1.4 says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. All right, so Peter tells us that the key to, to becoming more Christ-like is to grab onto the promises of God, all right? So one of the ways that you combat worry in your life is by appropriating the promises of God. Now, I, I like, I use the word appropriate. Really, when I look that word up in the dictionary, I'm not using it exactly right, but I don't have another one, okay? Uh, there's not enough, so we need to make one up that would exactly match this. But here's what I mean by appropriate, okay? What I mean by appropriate is not just like read a promise and be like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, there it is. God says that he's gonna provide. Now, I gotta worry about it, you know? <sighs> All right, that, that's, not, that's not what we mean. That's not appropriating the word of God. When you appropriate the word of God, you grab onto that promise, okay? You, did you grab onto it? Grab onto it, and now you're gonna use it, okay? And you're gonna use it to, to affect the way that you think and the way that you feel and the way that you act, all right? So, so what you're gonna find in the Bible is there's a lot of times where you, you, you read a promise and you realize, all right, I'm not acting like that's true. I'm not feeling like that's true. I'm not thinking like that's true. All right, that's a problem. Okay, that's, that's to some degree called unbelief. All right, and so, so the way that you increase in faith is that you grab onto a promise of God, okay? And there's all kinds of them in the Word of God. Actually, there's a great one right in this passage, isn't there? 633, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All right, there's a great promise. But there's all kinds of them in the Bible, right? There's all kinds of them. All right, so grab onto a promise, all right? And then appropriate it by, by bringing your thinking in line with that promise, your feeling in line with that promise, and then you're acting in line with that promise, right? 
So, so maybe, maybe something happened in your life and you're, you're worried about your job or whatever and you're stressing over it and you, it's, it's just consuming your mind and, and it's making you feel hopeless and despairing and that everything's going to crash and there's no hope for your family and your, your, your child asks you about something and you snapped at them, you know, because you're so bound up and worried. That's what happens when we're worried, right? Okay, now you grab onto a promise of God and you're like, okay, hold on. All that is wrong. If this promise is true, then I need to stop thinking this way. I, I need to feel hopeful. I need to feel joyful. And I need to go back in the living room and tell my kid, I'm sorry. I, sh- I shouldn't have snapped. I-, I shouldn't be despairing. And then you know what, family? Let's gather around, let's pray, and then let's, let's go forward because God's gonna provide, right? See, that's, that's actually believing the word of God. That is appropriating the word of God. Song can have a powerful influence here. Um, I really realized that in these last two weeks, more than ever before. There, there were there were a couple times where we were just against the ropes. We were man, we were getting pummeled uh, physically, emotionally, um, fear wise, uncertainty wise. Um, just feeling like we're, we we could do what was sitting before us. And man, David did a really wise thing. He he uh, asked Sandeep. Sandeep was with us, and Sandeep had phone coverage. And he said, "Hey, Sandeep, look up this song." And so Sandeep would pull it up on his phone. And, and just one song after another. One of the ones I remember, we had 10,000 Reasons, Good, Good Father. I mean, just a bunch of these songs. And I remember when Good, Good Father was playing, man, it was just such a rebuke of what I was feeling inside. You know, and, and I, I just remember thinking, Jason, you, you should not be feeling this way. You, you have, you're a child of the God of the universe, all right? And he's gonna provide. And he, he's there. And, and, and you may be inadequate, but he is adequate. And, and so be joyful, put your mind on Christ, and get out of the car, right? That, that's what song ought to do for us. I think so many times in the American church, we think, well, the, the singing is what we do before the preaching. No, the singing is you actually grabbing onto the promises of God and saying, all right, my heart is not right. I should, I should be feeling this, not that. I should be thinking this, not that. And so I, this song is enabling, helping as I grab onto it, as I appropriate the truth and the promises in there, I'm going to grab onto that and, and I'm going to change the way I think, feel, and act. Amen. I'm going to increase my faith. Okay? I'm going to increase my faith. Now, the ultimate act of faith, I believe, is in verse 33. Okay? So I, I think 33 is right on the heels of this. I think when Jesus says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, I think that's a step of faith. Okay? So, so when, when you're worried about your bills, when you're worried about your, your reputation, when you're worried about your health, when you're worried about your standard of living, when you're all bound up about those things, I think Jesus is saying an act of faith is simply move your mind from that. Move your mind. So move your mind to be preoccupied rather with the things of God, to pursue and see and know and enjoy more and more of God. The kingdom has a king and you should know him and you should love him and you should pursue obeying him and you should pursue his mission. Live in faith. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's like a whole mind shift. It's like, okay, I got all this stuff that's tearing me up on the inside. I'm moving my mind to the mission of God, the things of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God, and I'm running hard after that. He's like, well, what about all that other stuff? Don't you need to worry about it? And then we think, you know, hey, you need to make a good decision. Do you need to worry about it? No, you don't. You know why you don't need to worry about it? 
this is the last point, verse 27 and verse 34. I put these two verses together. They don't come together in the passage, but I think they come together in my mind anyway. Verse 27 says, And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Essentially what Jesus says there is, you do not do any good. This is super practical. You don't do any good worrying about it. Like, like we always say, well, I need it. No, you don't. Why? What can you do? What, how many times can you roll that over in your mind and affect anything? You can't. You can't add a single moment to your life. You can't enhance your life in any way by worrying about it. John Piper's a guy, many of you read him, listen to him. He's a guy that struggled with anxiety, actually kind of panic type stuff uh, when he was younger. And, and I love what he said. I've heard him say this several times. He says, I refuse to be mastered by a useless emotion. I refuse to be mastered by a useless emotion. Look at verse 34. It says it's something even further. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, being anxious about tomorrow is actually kind of another category of worry, isn't it? You know, there, there is, there's, there's worry about things that happened, right? Like, oh, man. The boss came in and said this, I am super worried about what's going to happen now. Or this bill came in, super worried about how am I going to pay. Or this thing, my kid came home from school and said this, ah, bound up on the inside. Okay, there's that kind of worry. There's another kind of worry that worries not about things that just happened, but about things that might happen. I'm so thankful for imagination. Aren't you thankful for imagination? Imagination is a great gift of God, you know, that enables us to kind of transport ourselves and grab onto a truth of God, grab onto heaven. You know, you know when, I, when I use my imagination to think about the glories of heaven, that's, that's a great gift. But did you know that the devil can use your imagination if you let him? And there are people that just absolutely combined with kind of a, a propensity to worry allow the devil to run havoc with their imagination. There are folks that when they get on an airplane, before the safety talk has even been given, they've already thought of 539 ways they're going to die, you know? You know, being sucked out the window, plane breaks in part, you know, drowning in the ocean, engine comes down on top of you, you get sucked into the engine, you know, oxygen mask comes down, you're the only one that doesn't work, you know, everybody else got theirs on, you're like... You know what I mean? Like your imagination just like all the different ways you're going to die, you know? And none of it has happened. And there is really hardly any chance any of it will happen. All right? And, and so here's what Jesus says about that worrying about tomorrow, okay? He says, therefore, don't. <laughs> I just love Jesus' bluntness. Don't. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And he says this, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, 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 now that's, that's something really important, okay? Here's what you need to understand. You have things to do today. I don't know if you knew that or not. Kingdom things. I'm not talking about your yard or whatever. I mean, that, you might have that to do. But what I'm telling you is you have kingdom things to do today, like kingdom opportunities, ministry, mission, gospel conversation. And here's the reality. If you are bound up in worry about tomorrow, you will miss today. Mr. Fred, would you jump up and let that lady know where the pizza goes? Thank you very much. If you are bound up about tomorrow, you will miss your opportunities today. And so what does Jesus do? He says this, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, there, there's really only one thing that's certain about tomorrow. I know we all have hopes for tomorrow. 
I, I, I do. I've got hopes for this week. I've got hopes for my children. I've got hopes for our family. Absolutely zero of that is certain. There's, there's a couple certainties though, okay? God will be in tomorrow. Isn't that great? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He started this deal. He's going to wrap it up. Okay, so God owns tomorrow. I know that. Oh, did you, and did you know this? He's my heavenly father. Have we already established that? My heavenly father owns tomorrow. And the second thing I know, because we memorized this in our March memory month, remember? Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, I think it is, where, where the scriptures tell us that his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I know that my heavenly father owns tomorrow, and I know that his mercies are new every morning. Those are two things I can guarantee you about tomorrow. Stop worrying. Like it's hindering your kingdom progress. It's hindering you from seeking the right treasure. It, it's it's going to bind you up. Like you really got to deal with that. You got you to deal with it. And you got to deal with it by remembering who your heavenly father is and that he's a good caregiver. And you got to fight it by appropriating the promises of God. And by the way, this is not like a one and done deal, okay? So this is not like, hey, pastor preached on anxiety. I told God, hey, I'm not going to worry anymore. And I just haven't ever again. That was 30 years ago, you know? And that's, it's hand-to-hand combat, isn't it? Like, like you, but the, but the more you win, the stronger you get. The more the Holy Spirit wins through you, the stronger you get. But you, you got you to meet it every time. And you got to meet it with the promises of God, believing them in your mind, in your heart, and your will. And so let's, let's take that step of faith this morning, shall we? Father, I thank you for being a good heavenly father. Thank you, Jesus, that we, we can count on you, that we can be confident in you, that you won't let us down. Father, I thank you for your care over us, your care over this world. Uh, thank you, Father, for your promises. Help us to believe them, to, to change the way we think and feel and act according to them. Uh, Father, I pray that um, you would help us to seek your kingdom, God, to move our energy and mind and focus to, to the treasure of the kingdom. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.